Well, that's from Leviticus chapter 19. And I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 18. You can find chapter 19 on page 121 in the Pew Bible. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then the New Testament reading. Matthew 19, and I'm going to read verses 16 to 24. And you can find that on page 986. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. And love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Right, I'm, let me turn myself on. There we are. Is that okay? Yeah. Good. Um, we are uh, in the middle of this series uh, called Encounters with Jesus. Uh, and this is probably uh, the most challenging of them all um, and the most important. It occurs in all, this, in all the Synoptic Gospels, um, which means that it was a particularly important one for the first Christians. 
In Matthew, it introduces the passion narrative, his story of Jesus' suffering and death. So our passage begins with the man's question to Jesus about how to get eternal life. Jesus replies by telling him to keep the commandments, to which the man asks, which ones? Jesus replies by quoting the ethical commandments, to which the man replies, he has kept them all, and asks what he still lacks. Jesus tells him. The man goes away because he doesn't want to do what Jesus tells him. Jesus closes the encounter with a parable, in which he acknowledges the challenge his answer poses to the young man. The question-answer structure of the passage is very Jewish and illustrates the role of a rabbi and his disciples. Disciples learn by asking and rabbis respond by teaching. And this is how faith grows. Ethically, this applies most obviously when any individual or group is targeted. I mean the ethical commandments. Um, it is on this basis that the concept of universal human rights is based. Each of us is to give to the other person, any other person, the same rights and privileges that we ourselves enjoy. But to understand what Jesus is saying and how it applies to us today, we have to ask the question, what is good? Remember, Jesus, uh, the, the man acknowledged that the, the commandments are good, and the question is, what does that mean? Um, and the important thing to understand is that what is good ethically changes through time. There are no universal social values through time except Jesus' ethic of love for your neighbor as yourself. And I'll show you through by taking a quick trip through uh, the history of the church to show you how often the church has changed its position um, and, and was right to do so. In the 15th century, for example, Copernicus was declared a heretic for his discovery that the earth was not the center of the universe. Um, the church was wrong. Copernicus was right. The church supported slavery on the basis of 1 Corinthians 7, chapters, uh, verses 21 to 24. In whatever condition you were called, there remain with God until it was a, a wing of the Christian church that led the campaign for its abolition. The church was as racist as society through much of Western history until racism came under intense scrutiny after 1945, largely under the impact of the Holocaust. And this forced the church to reconsider the way it in, had interpreted the scriptures uh, in a very anti-Jewish and even anti-Semitic way. Until the feminist movement gained wide traction from the mid-20th century, the church was entirely in agreement with society's patriarchal uh, ethos and practices. And this has changed, though the struggle uh, is not yet won completely. Only in 1882 did the church uh, allow private burials for suicide in a churchyard in, daylight, in daylight. Previously, they had to be conducted at night in secret. And, this, uh, and um, only in the second, only in the last few years, in fact, has the church allowed the, the burial of people who have committed suicide with a full Christian service in, in church. 
only in the last few years. Uh, and these changes have been motivated by a deepening understand, uh, understanding of the medical and psychological factors involved uh, in um, the journey towards suicide. So in the second half of the 20th century, the church changed its position on divorce, which uh, had been previously regard regarded as a profound moral failure. Divorced Christians were not allowed to receive communion uh, until the change church rightly changed its mind. Indeed, the church went further and now allows the remarriage of divorced persons under certain conditions, um, a practice which actually is, was pretty bold because it's found nowhere in scripture or tradition. But surely it has been the correct change to have made. Debates we're still having in the church around homosexuality have begun to move the church away from a credible anti-homosexual position. Up to 1967, church and society agreed that homosexual behavior was a criminal offense. But starting in 1967, with the decriminalization of homosexuality and with a huge body of research into human sexuality, society moved in stages to a full acceptance of homosexuality, a position the church has moved towards but hasn't yet accepted fully. In every one of these cases that I have quoted, and I could quote you hundreds more, uh, the church has had to respond to new knowledge and new events in the world in which it lives. The world changes constantly, and so do social values. Ethical dogmas have to be reassessed constantly because history brings change, uh, a fact that is the only other certainty apart from death. I realize that uh, if you've been taught to believe that having faith in Christ gives you absolute certainty uh, in an uncertain world, uh, you may be a bit disorientated at what I've said. But in fact, Christianity gives only two certainties. First of all, that you are to love God alone because God has loved you. And secondly, that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. You can't choose to do one or the other. They go together. Now, the latter is an ethical principle which has to be given flesh in particular situations and contexts. And I've shown how this has happened throughout history. In faith, we have to search for what obedience to Christ means for us now, because the now will be different from the past because of historical change. We cannot opt out of having the responsibility of engaging with the world around us in order to make decisions that are right uh, and that reflect God's love for humanity. Now, this reality of change is why Jesus teaches a summary of the commandments through a single lens of love for one's neighbor. As long as this base is clear, uh, ethics can be practiced flexibly, morally, and within the will of God. Now, I come back to the passage. The man responds in verse 20 to Jesus' teachings by claiming to have kept all the commands Jesus lists. And I think if you go through them, that most of us would probably claim the same, at least on a superficial reading, which is the level on which this man makes his claim. Jesus responds to the man's claim with a parable that digs into its superficiality. If you wish to be perfect, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor. 
Now this is best taken as a parable, not a literal requirement. If we took it as a literal requirement, I think few of us would be sitting here today. The Greek word translated by possessions, in fact, is capable of two meanings. It can refer to the things you possess, and it can refer to the possession of your selfhood, your sense of who you are as a human being. So Jesus is telling the man to free himself of all attachment to things that his wealth allows him to possess, and to abandon all sense that the value of his life depends on the things that he can own. This man, we are told, who has now become a young man, had many possessions, a different Greek word is used at this point, which simply means the things that we own. Referring, uh, So it is likely that this man, in fact, was an absentee landlord, imposing heavy taxation on the peasants in Galilee, whose land he had effectively stolen uh, and whose interests Jesus represented. This practice, called by sociologists latifundialism, a bit of a mouthful, had created widespread poverty in Galilee in Jesus' time. It helps us to understand why Jesus doesn't accept his claim to have kept all the commandments. If, however, you take Jesus' answer to the young man in a literalistic manner, Jesus' meaning is that his disciples are to be beggars as they share the gospel. But if Jesus was requiring that all Christians sell their possessions and give to the poor throughout time, soon no one would have any possessions to sell. Everyone would have nothing and the economy would grind to a halt. If Jesus meant us to read this literalistically, one would have to conclude that he didn't understand how society worked at all, which is unlikely. Now, someone who, a famous person who took this uh, in a very literal way was St. Francis of Assisi, who was a wealthy man who gave all his wealth away and uh, took up uh, life as an itinerant beggar preaching the gospel, which was fine. But when uh, his movement had gained such uh, success Italy, that Italy was packed with beggars, uh, who weren't contributing to the economy, and the Italian economy was wilting under the strain, uh, Francis was uh, clever enough and acute enough to realize that what had been the word of God to him initially had become a word of evil for society, because society was collapsing. And so he had to change completely. He had to buy property, uh, he had to put his monks to work, and he had to... Uh, exercise his calling as part and parcel of the uh, economy contributing to it. I'm sure that Jesus understood very well that society required people to be employed and to live in settled communities together. So I think he is in prophetic visionary mode here, using a parabolic statement to get us thinking about the kind of self-denial that being a disciple may involve because self-denial of some kind uh, is always a requirement of discipleship in Jesus' teaching. Uh, I think it's entirely likely that Jesus envisaged a few disciples living with this kind of absolute devotion. Uh, his own disciples lived like this. But Paul, for example, worked as an artisan, which would have required him at the least to own the tools of his trade, I would imagine. 
So, this is best read as a parable of the kingdom of God, which challenges the materialism that says that your human value lies in your possessions. So, love God and love your neighbour as yourself are the absolute bases directing human life in the Gospel. Everything else is changeable because context changes. Uh, think of the impact, for example, of technological developments in our lives at the moment and the ethical challenges that they have already brought. What age should children have mobiles? How much content and what kind of content should they, should they use and how should their use be supervised? As AI makes its impact felt more and more widely, it will further challenge human behaviour and create new ethical challenges that we have never faced before. Amen.